This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Roberto Mazza, and today my guest is Bedros Dermatosian. Bedros is the editor of the Armenian Social Democrat and Chakian Party, Politics, Ideology, and Transnational History, published by I.B. Tories in 2023. This book, which is based on new research, sheds light on the history of the Social Democrat and Chakian Party, also known as SDHP, a major Armenian revolutionary party that operated in the Ottoman Empire, Russia, Persia, and throughout the global Armenian diaspora. Divided into sections, three sections in fact, and 13 chapters, which cover the origins, ideology, and regional history of the SDHP, the book situates the history of the Anchaks within debates around socialism, populism, and nationalism in the 19th and 20th centuries. The SDHP was not only an Armenian party, but had a global Marxist outlook, and scholars in this volume bring to bear expertise in a wide range of histories and languages, including Russian, Turkish, Persians, and Spanish from Latin America, to trace the emergence and role this influential party played from their split with the Armenian Revolutionary Federation and the events of the Armenian Genocide to the formation of the First Armenian Republic and then Soviet Armenia. Putting the Anchaks in context as one of many nationalist radical groups to emerge in Eurasia in the late 19th century, the book is an important contribution to Armenian historiography as well as that of transnational revolutionary movements in general. But before we delve into all of this, first things first, Bedros, welcome. Thank you for inviting me, Roberto. Now, we've known each other for a long time, and we had uh, a number of interviews, but still, I would like you to tell us something about yourself, and then perhaps you can start talking about the origins of the book, and perhaps you can tell us about the reasons that led you to envision a book about the Social Democrat and Chakian Party. Yeah, uh, Roberto, thank you. Um... Uh, I was born and raised in East Jerusalem in the Muslim quarter of the old city of Jerusalem. And uh, I graduated from the Armenian school, St. Tarkmanchak school, went to Hebrew University and then to Columbia University. After that, uh, I received, after receiving my PhD from Columbia, I, I taught a few years at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And now currently I'm a professor of history at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And I'm also the vice chair 
uh, I've always been interested in the Armenian revolutionary movements and, uh, you know, to a certain extent, the historiography of the Armenian revolutionary movement usually tends to concentrate on the Armenian Revolutionary Federation, which is the ARF still existing. It's an opposition group today in Armenia. It's a powerful uh, uh, party in the diaspora. So it has been concentrated on the Armenian Revolutionary Federation on the expense of other revolutionary groups uh, who did not necessarily leave a major archive. The ARF, the Armenian Revolutionary Federation, the, the depository of its archives is housed in the Hydenic Building in Watertown, Massachusetts, where you have a plethora of information there about the activities of the party in different parts of the world, but also in the Ottoman Empire, really a major, uh, a major uh, archival truth. So uh, to that extent, the uh, Social Democratic and Chakian Party does not leave a major archive to be able to reconstruct the history of the party. So the book is based on, uh, uh, around half of the book is based on the proceedings of a conference that took place uh, on the one, 125th anniversary of the establishment of the Social Democratic and Chagian Party in 2012, which took place the part of the Social Democratic and Chagian Party in California, in Los Angeles or Burbank, who organized this, this conference to, to uh, commemorate the or celebrate the 125th anniversary. So uh, the conference took place in in, in 2012 in uh, Woodbury University in Burbank. And then, so the six of the articles came from there. And I, and they, when they approached me uh, a few years ago and said, would you be able to edit these? And, you know, because these are important, I thought about it and I realized that really there's something to it. And I, uh, and I brought six additional articles really to write the history of the party. And of course, this is the first English language edited volume about the uh, history of the Social Democratic Chakian Party, mainly concentrating on its activities and ideology and uh, revolutionary activities within the Ottoman Empire. More could be done, of course, uh, within within the field itself, but this is just the beginning, I should say, and hopefully other scholars will follow suit in uh, in uh, exploring more dimensions of the social democratic and Chakian party, not only in the Ottoman Empire, but its extensive activities in the diasporas and the diaspora and Armenian diaspora in the post-genocide period. Since you have talked about the Ottoman Empire, can you give us a, a short historical context into which the party and its activities are situated? And, and I guess it would make sense to talk about a pre and a post Young Turks revolution period? Of course, uh, that's a good question, uh, Roberto, because the uh, the Social Democratic Chagian Party was born in a milieu, and that milieu was influenced and affected by the Russian revolutionary organizations such as the Narodnyana Volia, the People's Will, and other Russian organizations. So, intellectual elite the revolutionary, the founders of the uh, Social Democratic and Chagian Party came actually from, from Russia and they were influenced by the Russian Russian intellectual elite of the people's will, of uh, revolutionary activities, uh, which aimed at mass demonstration in order to bring the attention of uh, people with the suffering of the 
of the uh, of the uh, of the of the of the peasant peasant class. Of course, this is extremely important because for the Social Democratic and Chechen Party, socialism was a very important aspect. And socialism, uh, so if you think about two important pillars of the Social Democratic and Chechen Party ideology, it would be socialism and the uh, and uh, uh, nationalism. So the CDHP was uh, found, of course, in Geneva by uh, uh, Avedis Nazarbekian, his uh, his uh, uh, his fiance Maro and others uh, other five uh, four uh, uh, other members who all were influenced went to uh, Russian uh, Russian universities and studied in Russian universities and came with these ideas and ideologies in uh, trying to uh, form a revolutionary party with the aim of uh, uh, relieving the suffering of Armenians either in Russia or the Ottoman Empire. But eventually their target became to relieve the suffering of the Armenians of the Ottoman Empire. They believed that this could be done through revolution and this could be done through uh, raising, uprising, sorry, not only the Armenians but also the other Muslims for a joint cause and the cause was the cause of Armenian, of, of the peasantry in a class, you know, influenced by Russian ideology of class against the uh, exploiters of the peasantry and uh, trying to make a case of a common common cause here. So uh, Hunchak uh, was found in 1887, though one of the articles says now that it was found in 1886. Uh, it didn't take its name until 1890 and they followed the uh, the Hunchak means bell, they followed Alexander Hertzen's protocol Again, uh, it was the bell. Alexander Herzen was a Russian intellectual and the precursor of socialism in, in, in Russia. So you see here excessive uh, influence of the, uh, of the Russian intellectual and revolutionary current on the Armenian revolutionary movement, not only on the Hunchaks, but also on the Armenian Revolutionary Federation. So in the course of the 19th century, there are two intellectual and political currents existed in the region of the Ottoman Empire. One coming outside from Russia and the other coming from Istanbul and other port cities, and those were more gradualists than activists. They believed in political change, they believed in gradualism, whereas the Armenian Revolution Federation or the Social Democratic and Chakyan Party, they believed in activism through mass demonstration. But what distinguishes, distinguishes the Armenian Revolution Federation and the Hunchaks, there are a few things, few couple of important things that distinguishes both of them. One of the things is that Hunchaks believe in mass demonstrations. Put mass demonstrations, bring the attention of the European powers to the plight of the Armenians, whereas the uh, ARF believed more in individual assassinations uh, and targeting of individual uh, uh, evil, individ individual perpetrators and cruel uh, uh, officers, as opposed to as opposed to uh, mass demonstrations. But in their process, they also targeted Armenians, specifically the Armenian bourgeoisie and the church, because Armenian bourgeoisie and the church were extremely nervous about the revolutionary activities. That, were, that was happening in the Ottoman Empire because revolutionary activities means that now we have a, a different source of legitimacy because for the for the interest of the Armenian church, the legitimacy should be the church, the Armenian patriarchate, 
and the Armenian Amira class or the Armenian bourgeoisie class. So whenever they saw that something new is coming, they started getting nervous because for them, keeping the status quo as it is, is more safer, is safer than bringing a new revolution or idea that we don't know the, uh, we don't know what would, we don't know the uh, result of which uh, could be catastrophic or could be positive. So to that extent, the Social Democratic and Chakian Party was born prior to the Armenian Revolution Federation. And in 1990, 1890, you have the formation of the Federation of Armenian Revolutionaries, whereby now the, uh, uh, there were now, now the, those groups who formed the Armenian Revolution Federation invited the Nunchaks as well as other groups in order to uh, become a united party and uh, also invited Armenakans who were, who were the, who came prior to the uh, Armenian Revolutionary, uh, Armenian, Armenian Social Democratic Hanshakian uh, Party. And so they tried to create a unified front, but they, they did not succeed. Because for the Hanshakians, the, the, there was heavy, they put heavy emphasis on socialism. And socialism for them was going to be, can transcend boundaries, transcend nationality, uh, and create the precursor or the preconditions for for creating a much more uh, a much more just and fair and equal society, regardless of the fact uh, whether it's Christians or Muslims. So in their activities in the East, actually, they also targeted Muslims. They targeted Muslims. Some targeted Alevis. Some targeted you know. So they were. The placards affair, the Yafta affairs in 1893, for example, was uh, we had Yaftas, you know, placards uh, written in Ottoman, trying to mobilize the uh, peasants, the poor Muslim peasants, because the peasantry also suffered. Muslim peasantry also suffered in the east, as along with the Armenian peasants, uh, depredations by the Kurds, double taxations, but also extractions and Kurds. And so kind of a lawless situation in the East. And of course, Abdul Hamid also made use of this by creating the Hamidian cavalry, the Hamidian regiments in uh, teaching a lesson to the Armenians on what came to be known as the Hamidian massacres. So to that extent, it is a very uh, sophisticated, I should say, party that uh, falls into the, not even into the footnotes within Turkish historiography, or Ottoman historiography due to the fact of uh, reluctance or ignorance, because, for example, the last chapter by Kadir Akin, who's an important figure in uh, Turkish socialism, criti criticized the Turkish left, for example, for silencing and denying the existence of the Social Democratic Party as the one of the important, the big first socialist parties in the Ottoman Empire. So that's important. So this is what's happening in the pre-revolution period. In the post-1908 revolution, there was the Social Democratic and Chakran Party was cautious in entering to any alliances with the Young Turk Party. They were more aligned with Sabah al-Din, decentralization, and eventually the Etilaf Party. They, they were always in opposition, and they criticized the Armenian Revolutionary Party for entering into alliance with the Young Turk Party. Even prior to the revolution, negotiations, there were attempts to negotiate between the Young Turk in the exile and the social democratic figures, Sadr Sabah Gulyan and many other figures, but all of these failed due to the, uh, due to the reluctance and distrust or mistrust of, uh, uh, that the uh, Hunchakians had towards the Young Turk party. But 
to a certain extent, also the Hunchakian party was divided into two sections in 1898, realizing that a group within the Hunchakian party, realizing that socialism was distancing European polit politicians from the uh, Armenian plight. They had an internal strife with the main party saying that we should tone it down or remove socialism because it's not attracting European powers to our plight. So then there the party divided. So you have the Social Democratic Party and then social, and then you have the reformed Hunchakian Party, reformed Hunchakian Party. And for the reform, it was now the principle was nationalism, the nationalism, autonomy, autonomy, whether autonomy or independence of Armenia. And for the original Hunchak, still socialism was an important ideological tenant that they were, were supposed to, they had to follow. So these two factions actually ended up in major strife, sometimes killing each other, assassinations, assassination, conflict assassination. So it's so much sophisticated that within the party itself, there is a division and there is different, different, uh, different uh, uh, agendas. So to that extent, after the Young Turk Revolution, the Hunchakians, uh, uh, you know, uh, gave up the uh, militancy. Uh, revolutionary and entered to revolutionary uh, movement uh, kind of uh, tactics and entered into political scene as part of the uh, as, as being a member of the parliament. They had uh, one member of the parliament, and eventually, after during the Balkan Wars, they realized that the CUP does not have any intention to reform the condition of the Armenians or the lot of the Armenians. They uh, took a decision that now. Uh, Hunchaks are going to use enemies uh, uh, existing in order to uh, 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 protect the Armenians from depredations, whether by the CUP or others. And to that to that extent, 1913 Congress is an extremely important Congress, whereby the uh, the CUP, they know the Social Democratic Hunchakian Party, takes a decision to assassinate key figures in the CUP, the leadership in the CUP. And to that extent, one has to also emphasize, I think, that the Social Democratic and Chakian Party was not against the Turks, as is represented by the historiography. They're not against the Ottomans. They joined the Ottoman opposition against the CUP dictatorship. So the Ottoman opposition, whether Sabahattin or whether the uh, whether the decentralization movement, uh, along other decentralization movements, or the Arab decentralization movement. And along with the Etilaf and the Hurriyet party, they were in opposition. Their aim was solely to get rid of the Committee of Union and Progress and their dictatorship and their extra legal and extra constitutional measures they were taking in order to uh, preserve the territorial integrity of the Ottoman Empire. I've written about this in the past, about the Young Turk Revolution, etc. I don't want to repeat here, but uh, there is one chapter actually which. Uh, for the first time, Yerik Jerejan actually, for the first time, uh, 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 shows us a letter written by a prominent member of the uh, of the Hunchaks to another prominent member discussing the way in which the CUP sends agents to Cairo in order to assassinate members of the Social Democratic Hunchakian Party, even the Khedevi itself, and also Ottoman opposition figures. So this idea that this is an ethnically based kind of movement, it does not hold ground that much because it's about opposition and power. 
opposition groups, not only Armenians, they included Ottomans, Ottoman Muslims, let's say, Ottoman Christians, you know, Etilaf Party and many others against the against the despotic regime of the CUP after 1950. Uh, uh, after the Armenian genocide, of course, it was a huge blow. They did put some resistance to the Armenian genocide. They didn't work. So after the collapse of the uh, Ottoman Empire and the Armenian genocide, the Social Democratic Party now went outside and became an important party in the diaspora, along with the Armenian, uh, the other Armenian traditional parties and uh, benevolent unions. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, after this very important uh, historical context, and of course, we're going to discuss some of the details looking at uh, some of the chapters of the book. So the book is divided into three sections, and it has four, 13 uh, contributions. And the first part covers the period from the origin of the party to the establishment of the First Republic uh, of Armenia. The second part looks at uh, regional and local histories. Well, the last part looks at the party's ideology. Can you give us a broad sense of the book structure, uh, maybe the methodologies, but more importantly, the sources that the various authors have employed in their chapters? Very good point, uh, uh, Roberto, because when you edit a book and you don't want it to be just like, uh, just like, a flow of articles, and that's it, everyone can read it. I mean, the task of the editor is to divide the chapters and put them under a category that would be easier to structure the book as such. So it was, at the beginning, it was a difficult task, but then it became easier when I realized that, you know, the, these are uh, these the, these chapters deal with ideology. So as you said, the, chap the book is divided in three sections. One, the first one is from the birth, from the real birth, with 1896, not 1897, where Apel Manugian here now, based on an image, actually, it's fascinating, based on an image, analyzes the beginning of the uh, party. So sources, in terms of source-wise, the book is based on multiple sources. So this is the first time that there is a kind of an intermingling or intermarriage between Ottoman sources, Armenian sources, uh, 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 European sources, and many other languages, Latin American sources. Uh, and to the, in order to establish the history of the Armenian Revolution Federation. So the first one is more kind of the historical background of the, of the party itself, its birth, its relation with the uh, young Turks in the exile, the post-1908 revolution, its uh, intricate relationship with the Ottoman opposition, the Balkan Wars, World War I, and then the Republic of Armenia 1918, where the, uh, where the uh, Social Democratic and Chakran Party did not play a major role, but they really assisted the Armenian Revolution Federation in its fight against the Kemalist forces. The second part, which is the which is, should be considered one of the most important contribution about, about the, in the book, is that we don't have regional history of the 
Social Democratic Kunchakian Party and its activities in the eastern province or central provinces. To that extent, always the history of the party is written from the lens of Istanbul, from the point of view of Istanbul, its activities in Istanbul, in the Constantinople or the Bolis or whatever you want to call it, in terms of its demonstration, its, uh, uh, its uh, uh, demonstration, the Kumkapi demonstration, the 1895 event, the Zeytun event, etc. But now we have, for the first time, kind of a, a critical approach to its activities uh, in the central and eastern part of the Ottoman Empire. And here you have a young generation of scholars such as Varak Ketsemanyan, uh, Umit Kurt, uh, um, uh, Toygun Altentash, and other uh, scholars who bring, and also Vahram Shemesian to a certain extent, he's a, a kind of some older generation, who bring together a regional understanding of the Hunchak's activity in these places. So what then there is a lot of novelty within these chapters uh, 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 that defy the traditional approach of historiography that these are just revolutionary movements as, as depicted in the Ottoman sources, as chattas, as komitajis, and in order to stabilize the situation. But in these articles, we realize that it's much more complicated, the image. For example, in the, in the case of Sasun, it's uh, in the case of Zeytun or Sasun, it's, uh, it, it's much more complicated that the Social Democratic and Chakan Party, uh, they, uh, they monopolize over an existing tension, existing tension that existed by giving it the, uh, the uh, giving it uh, a more political clout. All right. So there is a tension that's going on between tribes, between Armenians, but now the CDHP comes to uh, Sassoon, for example, and gives it a more uh, uh, political clout of this tension. In the case of uh, Toygun's article, for example, he, he discusses the way in which placard uh, becomes much more a new way of protesting the Ottoman depredation, the government depredation, uh, as an alternative to violence. So he argues that it's not violence, it's not the only means that revolutionary groups had tried to mobilize local population, it's also non-violent means, such as the placards and other means, which had also global dimensions to them. He brings the case of India, for example, where placards were used uh, for the sake of uh, mobilization. And he also, he also demonstrates how uh, the uh, Hunchaks also tried to mobilize Muslims in their, in their uh, aim of uh, creating a unified front against kind of a class peasantry, uh, complaint against the predation suffered by the uh, by the masses. So regionalism is extremely important to this aspect. And the last section deals with ideology. And we don't have much written about the ideology. Of course, what exists is in Armenian, is in Armenian, which is inaccessible to the general or general uh, general uh, audience. And whatever exists in Armenian, most of it is not written by professional historians. So here we have professional scholars, social scientists and historians who now put the ideology of the Social Democratic and Chakran Party in the larger context of the isms that existed in the end of the 19th century, whether socialism, populism, nationalism, and the contradictory paradoxes that existed within the political, political world. Mind you that this is not unique about the CDHP, this is not unique about the ARF, 
whole revolutionary movement in the end of 19th century, whether in the Balkans or whether in the Caucasus or whether in Eastern Europe, all of them had similar paradoxes in order to, uh, in, in, in achieving their aims. The, uh, the advantage that the Balkan states had actually is their geographic proximity to Europe, whereas the Armenians could not have, uh, could not have uh, a kind of a unified front in the, in, the, in, in the Ottoman Empire because they were in the heart of uh, Anatolia, Western Armenia, so uh, the movement for independence would have been much difficult. And hence, that's why many of them asked for autonomy and reform and eventually, in the end of the 19, uh, beginning of 1914, uh, the reforms, the uh, Armenian reform project, which were, which aimed at dividing the eastern provinces, Armenian provinces, into two sections, uh, 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 which failed actually because the Armenians entered World War One. The idea was decentralization. The idea was administrative decentralization, but not political decentralization. This is just another topic that's that comes into mind. But one thing is important to notice that. For the CDHP in its birth and its ideology, Ottoman Empire was an alien entity for them. Their source did not come, the birth did not come from the Ottoman Empire. It came from outside, from Russia and then Geneva. And they used the Ottoman Empire, the Eastern provinces, as a laboratory for both the independence or autonomy movement and the for socialism as a laboratory where they can now uh, implement socialism on a larger scale by bringing together both Muslims and non-Muslims alike in order to, uh, because they believe that socialism should be a global phenomenon, not necessarily based on ethnicity. But the real contradiction actually, paradox within, within uh, the Social Democratic Party was nationalism and socialism. And that's why there was the rift in 1898, and between now we have the original CDHP, and then the reformed Hunchaks formed their own. For them, nationalism was the most important aspect. So there are multiple, and by the way, the Social Democratic Hunchakian Party, they were well-versed in Russian intellectual uh, currents, Pleknov, uh, uh, many other, Alexander Herzen, many other, intellectuals, important intellectuals, and they were also influenced by the European currents of positivism, of uh, Marxism, and many other important figures. So they're not just like activists, they're heavy, theoretically read uh, intellectuals and politicians slash activists, who for them, the Western, the Eastern part of the Ottoman Empire is a laboratory for implementation of their theories. But then there is a there is a there is a clash too between the local activists who are not sophisticated in ideological currents and the intellectual elite. So you see this a lot in many parts of the it's a global phenomenon where you have the intellectual elite, the uh, the ideologues versus the practitioners of the people on the ground the activists. I'm glad you have anticipated a question I had about uh, nationalism and socialism, and perhaps we can talk about it later. But now I would like to ask uh, a general question. Uh, you talked about the fact that the history of the Anchakian party has only been told by a few and some not even professional historians. So I would like to understand 
what does the book contribute? So what what is what does the history of the Anchakian party contribute in our understanding about of uh, Armenian history? In other words, what does the Anchakian party can tell us more about Armenian history? Uh, it's not only Armenian history, uh, 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 Roberto. I always argue that the these revolution movements also represents kind of connected history, as the book of Huri Berberian demonstrates, that at the end of the day, these revolutionary movements were kind of roving revolutions, she argues, that connects different uh, three empires together, the Russian Empire, the Iranian, the Persian Empire, and the Ottoman Empire. So there is a regional, there is global wave of revolution, which is also reflected in the in the local, uh, in the regional, global, regional, and local, using terminologies derived from Nader Sohrabi in his book, Constitutionalism Revolution, which he argues that the way in which global waves are adapted, translated in order to satisfy local demands, right, depending on tradition, etc. So to that extent, the book, I think, is an important contribution that unearths the importance that the Social Democratic and Chakian Party played in Armenian history towards the end of 19th century, beginning 20th century, but also in the diaspora that hasn't been covered necessarily in an academic study. It's important because they are also the forebearers of socialism in the Ottoman Empire. Even prior to the Armenian Revolutionary Federation, they were influenced by currents that existed within the globe of revolutionary movements and try to use these movements, the ideas of these movements, by adapting them to the local exigencies that existed within the provinces. Whether it became productive or counterproductive, that's another thing. But usually, they, the aim of the uh, their aim was to bring European attention to the plight of the Armenians, and sometimes that became counterproductive because not every time it succeeded because the Ottoman answer to revolutionary movement, regardless of the fact whether the CDH wanted to socialism, it wasn't, they weren't interested about this. They were interested that these are revolutionary movements who are destabilizing the political stability in the East, and hence they need to be dealt with even by using uh, disproportionate violence and punitive, uh, collective punitive action against the local population, which resulted in the Hamidian massacres. So the book is the first, I think, edited volume that brings together a plethora of sources. Uh, most importantly now, the access to the Ottoman archives and reading against the grain within the Ottoman archives by bringing Armenian sources. And this is not only endemic, I think, to the political party, because these political parties had also student organizations, student unions at universities in the Ottoman Empire, such as the uh, uh, Yashar Tolga Jora's article about guides, guides mean spark, guides newspaper, where now you have uh, undergraduates actually uh, uh, conversing about ideological uh, currents, about historical materialism, about positivism, about, uh, uh, you know, liberalism and many other topics between, within, within these university-run, uh, student-run uh, uh, newspapers. So these are fascinating ideas that we don't see, we don't see have been sidelined actually and marginalized within Ottoman historiography. 
due to ideological uh, ideological biases or due to reluctance of dealing with Armenians or bringing Armenians back to the history. So, so I also argue that there is no such a thing as Armenian history in the in the thing. They should be Ottoman Armenian history. Should be. Armenian history is, does, does not exist in a vacuum. It's influenced and affected by the currents that existed in the Ottoman Empire, in Russia, and Russian Empire, Russian Empire, and also the Persian Empire in, in the region. But also having said all of that, the, the place where the, these ideologies are being cooked, the kitchen actually, is Europe. It's in Mont Montpellier, it's in, uh, it's in Germany, it's in uh, uh, in Switzerland and many other places where these students are studying. Actually, in the end of the uh, in the end of the 19th century, they are communicating and they're also in touch with other revolutionary groups from other ethnic backgrounds. It's not that we're only they're only Armenians sitting together, but they are having these conversations with each other and different uh, other different groups. I want to ask a few questions about uh, the chapters, and we can move rapidly through through all of them. Since you mentioned, uh, you know, the major arguments made, but I want to ask about the first part, which also includes uh, the chapters by uh, Mujibjan and Richard uh, Ovanisan, who actually both recently passed away. Can you tell us a little bit more about how the authors discuss and paint uh, the origins of the Anchakian Party and Perhaps you can tell us how their works are different uh, from previous historiographies uh, of the Anchakian party. Yeah, I mean, the uh, Mumjan's article tries to uh, depict the image of the social Anchakian democratic party, uh, not, not I mean, the defying the basic approach that, well, they didn't like the Young Turks, and that's why they didn't cooperate with the CUP. He demonstrates in an intricate manner why the Hunchaks had reservations in cooperating with the CUP by using memoirs, by using primary sources to really lay out the reasons as to why the, there was contradiction in the, in the ideology and the future of the Ottoman Empire in which the uh, CDHP uh, uh, wanted to guarantee the uh, the autonomous entity or the autonomy of the Armenians or the federal federal system or etc. of the Armenians in the Ottoman Empire. Hovanisian and, and uh, both of them actually passed away, and uh, they passed away when this book was in production. Actually, so I had to add the uh, you know the uh, that sign, which is the cross sign. I think it's the text that the person shows that the person have, has passed away. And Hovanisian also kind of demonstrates that the CDHP was not anti-Doshnak or anti-ARF during the first Republic of Armenia. They tried to help the Republic. They uh, even were critical of those parties who, uh, who criticized the ARF for its uh, anti-Soviet approach eventually and etc. But towards the end, also the Social Democratic and Champion Party now shifted its ideology and said, we have to support the Soviet Republic of Armenia because that's what it is. Let's be, uh, let's be more pragmatic, they said. This is the only country that we have. Unlike the ARF, the ARF also had, the ARF still uh, was committed that Armenia should be independent and the Republic of Armenia, as existed in 1918, should be the real Republic of Armenia 
not, not the Soviet one that was created by a compromise between the Soviet Union and the uh, and Mustafa Kemal Atatürk. So that, these are the two, two most important contributions, and Hovhannisyan is known to be the father of the history of, uh, of the Republic of Armenia. It's four, four to five volumes written about the topic, dedicated the whole career in really understanding the how and why the Republic was born, why, how and why the Republic collapsed. Now, in part two, uh, the authors look at uh, the complex local and regional histories. And you mentioned earlier the question of the relationship with the non-Armenian community. So can you highlight uh, with a little few more details how the authors to tackle the questions of the party relations with non-Armenians, for instance, Muslims, Kurds, and others? Of course. I mean, the way is to mobilize these people. and and the. And these scholars, the young generation scholars, are very well uh, versed, educated in major universities, and they're they're very well versed in the latest historiography. So you're bringing the new, the new generation who are aware of the latest historiography in the field, are able to mesh, utilize both the Ottoman and Armenian sources by coming up with a unique explanation of the region, of the activities of CDHP that transcends traditional understanding, that transcends the binary of, uh, of terrorism versus, uh, versus freedom fighter, uh, brings more uh, onto the table in terms of understanding the collective aim of these groups, the ways in which they mobilized uh, the non-Muslims also for the plight of Muslims also, Muslim refugees and or Muslim peasants for the plight for a general cause, which is the cause of the peasantry, uh, and trying to convince them that socialism is the way to go, and eventually uh, trying to prepare some kind of an uprising against the uh, uh, corrupt leadership of the uh, provinces. For example, in the case of uh, Vahram Shemesian, who deals with Musada, for example, the Social Democratic and Jakian Party had a stronghold in Musada, and they even uh, tried to had negotiations with the Alawites in order to create somehow an autonomous region when they both can govern themselves. So you see that there is a lot of negotiations happening with the local population. It's not, this is not a case of Armenians. This is not a case of Armenians against Turks. This is a much more complex situation whereby the CDHP or the ARF, they're really aware of the local dynamics of contention, and they do not only try to mobilize Kurds or Muslim peasants, Sunni peasants, or Assyrians to that extent, but also try to make a larger case to the cause of the suffering of the based on arguments on socialism. So post-1908 revolution, for example, you have Armenian delegations of the Social Democratic and Chakran Party and those delegations going to the villages during the elections and trying to uh, teach the peasants about these new ideologies, because peasantry is always kind of detached from ideologies, trying to teach them as to why these ideologies matters and how are they going to bring novelty and improve the condition of the peasants in the provinces. So to that extent, 
the, uh, the, the, these articles also defy the fact that this is uh, only Armenian revolutionary sinister activities in order to bring the, about the independence of Western Armenia, whatever you want to call it, uh, something that is propagated by Ottoman historiography and Ottoman uh, nationalists or denialists of genocide historiography that exists today. And it's very rife, I should say, in, in Turkey, uh, because you have a government, a government-based institution, the Tuktari uh, thing, the Kurumu, is a major uh, major supplier of these uh, producer of this kind of uh, ideology to be uh, you know just to make the case that the Tuktari Vakfu is a different case that's more progressive, more open-minded, and they've done excellent work in the historiography. So. Yeah. So let me ask uh, a question about the Ottoman system, because the party obviously is part of uh, the, the, the Ottoman Empire and of the Ottoman political system. And I'm curious about the relations of the party with other Ottoman political parties, whether representing the Turks or representing Arabs, Jews and other uh, groups within the empire. As I said, uh, Roberto, from the beginning, the uh, Hunchaks were against the Young Turks, meaning against the CUP. They were they united with the uh, Ottoman opposition liberals. Ottoman opposition liberals, whether Sabahitin and many others, the uh, Itilaf Party, the Hurriyet, the Itilaf Party, uh, in all for a common goal. The goal was to get rid of these this uh, uh, essentialist and nationalist version of Ottomanism, institute political, uh, sorry, institute administrative decentralization as the, as, the, as the framework in which the Ottoman Empire was, should have been governed, actually. And so to that extent, they, were, they really were part of the discourse, part of the political, uh, political game, and they were critical of the Armenian Revolution Federation for siding with the CUP. Now, uh, until today, people say what, why the ARF sided with the CUP, was in cahoots with the CUP. The ARF just did not have any option. I, I should say they were cooperating. They saw them as the powerful entity and they cooperated with them at the beginning in order targeting two major objectives. One of them, bring security to the Armenians in the Eastern provinces, and the second, to solve the Armenian agrarian question and uh, meaning the return of the Armenian confiscated lands during the Hamidian, uh, uh, Hamidian region, in the Hamidian period. And in 1911, when both, when the ARF realized that the CUP was reluctant to achieve any of these goals, they detached themselves from the CUP and took a neutral stance. They did not join the opposition. So to that extent, I think both of them are legitimate parties in post-1908. Uh, but also, you know, uh, also the parties created some kind of anxiety, I should say, among the more conservative elements within the Armenian communities, whether these are the Armenian tycoons or the Armenian patriarchy. Because until then, the Armenian patriarchy was the legitimate representative of the Armenian nation in the Ottoman Empire. And now after the 1908 revolution, we, we, uh, there is now the tension between privileges of the religious institutions versus creating a new identity based on citizenship and the real representatives are going to be the 
MPs within the parliament, whether Armenian parliament, whether the Armenians or the Greeks, whether Bulgarians or whether other, other, other figures. So to that extent, another important factor that I didn't discuss, the way in which the uh, Armenian revolutions also targeted the upper Armenian class in asking for money, financial aid for the activities. They even led up, they even ended up assassinating people, Armenian people. This is not about Armenian versus Turk. As you can see, this is a social, socialist revolutionary movement that has its own agenda, has its own agenda, whether by taking money from Armenians, Armenian, uh, Armenian bourgeoisie, or uh, using non using Muslims in their plight. So this is much more, that's, that's the book, that's why the book is important. It shows a more complex uh, picture than the binarism that exists between kind of good Armenian, bad Armenian uh, revolution versus, you know, Milati Sadika, which the, you know, loyal, loyal element, which is a total fabrication that was created in the historiography. And that's something, the loyal element, uh, so, uh, a topic that Mumjan, late Mumjan discusses in his article and criticizes the, the kind of the ideology and idea of Milleti uh, Sadika, the loyal, loyal uh, community. So we talked about politics, we talked about ideology, but the book is also about transnational history. And so there is a very interesting chapter about the party in the diaspora by Vartian Matiosian. And I was wondering if you can speak about uh, this fascinating story and this connection with a transnational history of the party of Armenia. Yeah. Unfortunately, Roberto, uh, Vartan's article is also reflects other diasporic situations. But this article is important because it's Latin America. I mean, you're going to the far farthest place from the Ottoman Empire where refugees uh, the survivors of the Armenian genocide also ends up end up in uh, in Brazil. Uh, you remember, I have, there's a picture, there's an image of an Armenian Armenian revolutionary, which happens to me. My great uh, great uncle, Kevor uh, Chetmeyan, uh, uh, and his descendants actually, is Hinchak. His descendants actually live in Uruguay, and because of this picture, I came, I posted this image a few months ago on, on Facebook. And immediately I was, I was, uh, they contacted me. I didn't, I wasn't aware that they lived in Uruguay actually. So you see how even from Marash to Uruguay and the establishment of Armenian communities and the way in which now the CDHP becomes a transnational movement, not only in Lebanon, which is the center or, uh, or other, or uh, Lebanon or Syria or, uh, or other places or France or other places, but also in Latin America. And Vartan's article is fascinating as it shows the way in which now the, uh, uh, the refugees start building a new mini kind of Armenias through using uh, the political parties, tradition political parties play a low role here in promoting identity through print medium, through radio and through other means. This is not only in the case of Argentina, but includes uh, uh, Brazil um, and many other uh, Latin American countries, uh, 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 Uruguay and other places. So it's, it's fascinating because it shows that these are mirror images of the contention that existed 
within the political parties within the traditional Ottoman Empire. So these contentions were exported now and reflected ideologically within these political parties. But one important point is that the history of these, as Vartan shows, that the history of these communities not only is not built in a vacuum, it's also put in the context of the Latin American history. And hence, whatever you're writing about the different CDHB, let's say, branches outside the Ottoman Empire, it's also you're writing about the history, uh, to a certain extent, an angle of the history of these countries. Imagine you're writing about the ARF and the Hunchaks in Lebanon without Lebanese history. That's that's unattainable. And that's why, for example, Sorin Nalbantian's book uh, uh, about the, about the uh, Armenians of Lebanon is crucial. It puts situate the Armenian experience in Lebanon, the larger Lebanese history. That's why it's very, very important, I think. And that's why, uh, unfortunately, we only had one article for the diaspora. We could have other articles where we can discuss the CDHB uh, uh, experience in different countries, not only experience, but the competition, ideological competition, where they're fighting and contending with different Armenian political parties and they're and they're outside now. They're not even inside. They're outside the homeland. Let's say they're in a different place, far away in South America, fighting for identity, fighting for ideology, and trying to be united, but with great, but be but with uh, but being unsuccessful. I want to end the interview talking about the picture that you just mentioned. Kevork Chekmayan. This is a fascinating picture just uh, uh, in the first few pages of the book, uh, which not only got my attention, but I, I, you know, I was just spending some time looking at the image of this young man ready to, to fight. Can you speak about him and the role he played, not just in your family, but also in the bigger picture? So uh, Kevork Chekmayan was not a leader. I should say he was a fighter, revolutionary fighter. He was the brother of my grandma, who was born in Marash. I grew up with my grandma until she passed away. We lived in the same room, actually, in the old city of Jerusalem, in Via Dolorosa 24, in the Muslim quarter. That's the number of the house. And uh, I learned from her these stories about her brother. And she was, apparently, she was also, you know, a role of women in revolutionary things. She was, her task was, she said, she was uh, preparing the bullets you know, for the fighting. And uh, Chekmayan played an important role, I think, in fighting against the Kemalist forces when the Marash massacre took place in 1920s, all right? So that the last, because after the Armenian genocide, Armenian, uh, like 20% of whoever was left returned back to Cilicia. And the aim was, the French plan was to create a Cilicia, independent Cilicia. But again, as the other colonial powers deceived other people, such as the Arabs, such as the uh, Assyrians, such as the Druze and many other people, the, also the French deceived the Armenians by giving them fake promises as long with the aim of bringing them as part uh, to participate in World War I as they formed the Légion d'Orient and fought alongside the French against the Ottomans with the, as the Arabs did, by the way, as we know with the Arab Revolt, with the idea of creating an Arab kingdom, which all of them failed because the uh, because the uh, these the French and the British were never sincere in their aim 
the colonial imperial powers, their aim is their own interest only and not the interest of the local population. They did that by with the Assyrians too in the in the in the, in Iraq and other places in order to recruit them. So, so to a certain extent, uh, Chekmea's image remained in the house, and I recently realized that that picture also exists in Uruguay and uh, Armenia and many other places where the Chekmean family exists. All right, Chekmeans were. Uh, called Bardisbanians means the uh, Bardes means uh, uh, means uh, garden, and they were from Marash, from the Kimbet Mahalasi in Marash, and they were uh, they were brothers and sisters who were the children of Asadur. Asadur is uh, was called nicknamed Lord Asadur. Apparently, he was very rich, but they lost everything during the genocide, and even there is today great-grandson in Los Angeles, which I've never met him, called Lord, uh, called Asadur Chekmeyan, all right? And in Uruguay, it's Astur, you know, and uh, Chekmeyan is written in different ways. So it's a large family, which I'm really uh, getting to know them in, in, in Latin America. But uh, it's important, and these family histories are important. You know, some, some families, their parents played an important role grand in, in the in national movements or you know in in, in as politician etc but i think every family has a material culture whether it's a it's 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 a it's an item from the period whether it's an image from the period and that's the image here is the material culture for example my grandfather brought uh, from maraj his uh, old testament old and new combined testament in armeno turkish Right? in Armenian Turkish. That's also a material culture. These are important, which is part and parcel of families and history. This was Pedro Dermatosian, editor of the Armenian Socialist, Democrat and Chakian Party, Politics, Ideology and Transnational History, published by IB Tories in 2023. Pedro, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Roberto, for inviting me again.